Thank you for tuning in to this edition of Kingsway Podcast from Pastor Sean. You are about to hear a message from a recent Sunday service. We consider it a privilege to be on a spiritual journey with you. So take a few moments with us and allow God to inspire you today. We are alive today. We are living, we are breathing, and we have our being. The Bible says that. It says that he has given us all that we have, including our very own breath. And so we started this series and been told a couple times that, hey, I've been sitting in all six episodes. I don't need a recap. But there are some people that haven't been sitting in all six episodes. And so we have podcasts. Feel free to, to listen to those if you want to get up to date on what we're doing here at Kingsway. But today is the last installment of our Walking Dead series has nothing to do with Walking Dead the show or really zombies, but we use that as a metaphor, if you will, to describe what happens to us as we go through the journey of life. The Bible says that we're dead in our transgressions, in our own sin, that we are dead. And then through Jesus Christ, we can be born again. And that's wonderful. And we, we are washed, cleansed in the blood. We are now free from sin, and we can live and occupy our life in the new glory. But churches all around America, including Kingsway, we come and we go to church and we do the same thing day in, day out, day in, day out. Worship, Bible study, Sunday school, fellowship, communion, baptism, fellowship, fellowship, sports, communion, worship, board meetings, health fair, harvest fest, Christmas special. And, and we wonder sometimes, what is it all about? Is it about just meeting, coming together? Because the Bible talks about the dead burying the dead. It makes this concept that we can be dead and yet we can still be walking around. We already know that as sinners. But what happens when we have given our lives to Christ and we've been resurrected? Can we still be walking dead? As a church, can a church be a dead church? What is a dead church? What's the difference between a dead and a living church? We're exploring that and now we're at the very last episode. And we, we start each one with this discussion about what makes you alive makes you alive have you thought about that lately maybe you have if you've been listening these last couple weeks well scientifically if you go back to high school biology there are seven characteristics of what makes you alive and we've been covering each one and what the Bible has to say about them and so when we go and we look at them we say well you need to eat and you need to breathe and you need to move and you need to grow you also need to remove waste I think that was my favorite in this series, the bowel movement. And last week, we had a lot of fun with this. We talked about God being all creative, omnificent. So he's all-knowing, he's all-powerful, he's everywhere, and he's also all-creative. And he creates things that themselves are creative, can reproduce, and can create. You are always creating something. You're creating a mindset. You're creating opinions. You are creating influences. What exactly are you intentional about recreating in your life? We talked about that last week. This week, this week we're going to have some fun. I'm really excited about this week because I think I said last week as sort of a to tee up this one, that of the seven characteristics, there are some really important ones. I mean, you can't live long without eating and breathing. You probably won't live long without moving you definitely, are, you're going to grow and you're going to reproduce and you need to waste. Those things are going to happen. This last one, number seven, is a little trickier. And I argue maybe it's the most important for the church to be aware of today. 
And for those of you who haven't looked on Google or don't remember high school biology, I have a refresher. The seventh characteristic of an entity being alive is it needs to be sensitive. It needs to have a sensitivity. If it cannot react to the environment around, it is not alive. This is why we debate things that are very sensitive, um, but don't do the other things. You know, there's viruses and bacteria. They're not alive, but there they're, are things that look like they're alive, but they're not sensitive to the environment. They don't adapt. They don't change. They don't react. We need to be that. We need to be sensitive. So what am I talking about? Well, from, from a purely biological standpoint, if you touch something really, really, really cold, your hand starts a sensation. If you touch something really, really hot, your hand comes off, right? You're sensitive to your environment. When you go outside not wearing enough clothes and you realize you're cold, or you jump into a pool and it's freezing, all of these are response mechanisms to tell you. When, when your body starts to have pain, Chris and I play a lot of sports, and if your knee starts hurting, your hamstring starts hurting, your shoulder starts hurting, it's your body telling you to stop doing what you're doing. You're going to continue to hurt yourself. You see, ingrained in our very own DNA is the concept of being sensitive. But I want to point out some areas that maybe will ring more of a bell. How about this one? I'm sure that makes you sensitive when somebody takes their fingernails and goes down a chalkboard. Ooh, it just makes me sensitive thinking about it, does it not? I was going to do a video of this one, but I didn't want to cringe everyone. How about this one? My son hates this. If you have dinner with us and you take your fork and you run it across your plate, he's going to flip out on you. He's very sensitive to it. Or maybe there's people who chew ice and that just drives you crazy. Or maybe you can't do it because your gums and your teeth are so sensitive. You know, or you know, maybe you're like me and you're pasty. And so if you go out in the sun, you get burnt real quick and you know you're sensitive, right? These are all mechanisms. Maybe all these ring a bell. These are all conditions of being alive. Here's one. Let me, let me, let me be a little more controversial. Maybe you're sensitive when I show you this picture. Yeah, that's right. This is Sunday. There's football on the day. And there's going to probably be some men doing that. I'm sure there's some of you today that are pretty sensitive to that. In fact, you don't want to see it. You're, you're probably offended. I even put it on the screen. This is ironic about this one, by the way. And no, no real comment about the action. But if I put this picture on the screen and you didn't live in America for the last two years and you saw this picture, you may wonder, especially if you see it in church, if all these men aren't sitting down praying. Because actually four years ago when Tim Tebow did this exact same thing, we all said he was praying and it was great. But these guys do it and it's a huge problem. I'm not here to debate that. My point is we are sensitive to all sorts of things and we're particularly sensitive to those things that annoy us, that aggravate us. If it annoys you, if it aggravates you, you're very sensitive to it and you know what those things are. We can call them pet peeves. You know, my son says, I know what my pet peeves are. My teacher told me on the first day what her pet peeve was. People don't want to be annoyed. They're sensitive. Know-it-alls. You know, maybe you're sensitive to those. I'm really sensitive to gluten. I get some gluten in my system and it's a whole different Sean you're seeing. The question on the table then is, should we be more sensitive than just to ourselves? Should we be sensitive to more than just our own bodies, our own little lives we live? See, in terms of the walking dead, dead aren't sensitive to anything. So we know that if you aren't sensitive to anything, you're dead. And zombies, if we use that analogy again, well, anything they're sensitive to, anything that annoys them, they just go and destroy it. They eat it, and they will literally stop at nothing until that thing is removed. Is that how we act today? When something annoys us, when something that, that 
that, that fires up that sensitivity inside of us? Do we start attacking? Do we start removing? Do we dismiss it? Do we even get ourselves out of there so we don't have to deal with it? These are all reactions that happen in the human condition. So today, as I put together this message, the concept that I want to use, and the first one that came to mind about sensitivity, and I really wanted to put a video together. And you know me, I normally do videos, and sometimes we put some videos together using our staff here. And, and because I'm moving, and it's just it's mayhem at home and at work, I figured I would go to YouTube, and I typed in what I wanted to type in. And nothing I could find was appropriate, so I just have a, a picture. So today is about sensitivity training. It's mandatory sensitivity training for Kingsway Christian Center. And there are a lot of videos. Some are funny. None are appropriate for church. And so I wasn't able to find one, and maybe I would have put one together. But you all should have a sense on what sensitivity training is. It's something that's been in the news lately if you've been following Starbucks or, or perhaps even our, our presidency. There's lots of been talked about sensitivity training. So the concept here is that there is something happening external to yourself that you need to be more sensitive to. In general, in the workplace, this is about potentially another race. If you're dealing with an ethnic group that you're not familiar with or you don't know how to treat a certain way, you go through sensitivity training to understand more about that situation. Or maybe it's gender training at work, how to treat women in the workplace. Or maybe it's sensitivity around those who've been abused before and how to deal with that situation. Or, or more recently, they have sensitivity training now for uh, different religious groups and, and knowing how to interact or Sensitivity training for orientation. And I'm not talking about your first day at work. Sensitivity training for all sorts of things. And the concept here is about diversity and inclusion. And it's really interesting about this because people who put these together, and I work in a workplace where sometimes I have to put these together. You know, a lot of times when we, we, we debate these things, you know, the concept comes out, well, what if there's Christians in there? Because that's going to be a problem. As if Christians, you know, for some reason are really exclusive and we're not diverse. You know, somehow we're intolerant. And this isn't a conversation necessarily about tolerance, but you know what? It's so ironic every time I think about tolerance and intolerance because those who are so upset about intolerance, for those who are so angry about those who are intolerant, are exactly that about those people. It's crazy. And so I can never get my mind around that. But with respect to Christianity, look, we do very much believe in diversity. So here's your quick five-second sensitivity training. Look at the flags around you. The Bible literally says, go to the outer ends of the world, Samaria, Judea, the outer ends of the world, and preach my gospel. Exclude no one. God himself is respecters of no persons, race, creed, or orientation. We need to be inclusive. That's just what the Bible says. But this today, this message, is not about acceptance. God accepts you. Kingsway accepts you. I accept you. I wish I could accept more of you. We have all these seats. You need to invite some people. This message is about something else. You see, I think, I think there is, is a characteristic here. There's a nuance here to sensitivity. And you really, you truly can't be a disciple in my mind. See, I don't even use the word Christian anymore. It's too much of a label. Let's be disciples. Let's be followers of Jesus Christ, right? Let's be servants to other people. Let's be studiers of the word of God. That's a disciple. To be a disciple 
You really need this characteristic. As a matter of fact, you can have those other characteristics. You can eat, grow, you can move, you can have a bowel movement and not be a disciple. But with this one, sensitivity is really, truly critical. So let's, let's take a look at it. So today, what I want to do is I want to go to my favorite book of the Bible, Esther. I, I use this all the time. Anybody knows I've preached on Esther a bunch of times. It, it wasn't before I became a pastor, but then when I became a pastor, I was like, wow, now I get it because I've studied it and studied it and studied it. So the book of Esther is just amazing story, and I'm not going to read all through it today because I've done it many, many times. There's effectively three characters in Esther. There's Esther herself, which is this gorgeous young woman who has lost her parents, and she is Jewish, and she lives in a Jewish community that's really small in a town that is not Jewish. And she's the main character, and then there's her uncle who effectively takes care of her as a confidant, as a mentor. He gives her guidance and knowledge. And... She, Esther, she ends up marrying the king of all people. And she becomes very prominent very quickly. And her uncle, Mordecai, he becomes pretty prominent just because he's so close to her and they effectively represent the Jewish people now. And the third character has nothing to do with Mordecai or Esther. The third character has nothing to do with the Jewish people. In fact, he was part of the royal court ever before Esther came in. He was the king's advisor. He was, you know, the right-hand man. He was the big shot. His name is Haman. And Haman, you know, he was power hungry. He was manipulative. He was um, going to get his way no matter what. And when he saw Esther's rise to power, and of course Mordecai the Jewish people's rise to power, his plan was effectively to eradicate them. Eradicate the Jewish people, eradicate Mordecai, and ultimately Esther. And so he goes on this plan to do so. And as he's doing this and he's concocting his plan and he's going through the steps, it's unbeknownst to Esther. And right before her eyes, things have escalated to the point where her people are in real danger of mass genocide. Esther is faced with, what do I do? How do I handle this? I'm just a small, diminutive, quiet little woman. What could I possibly do? Mordecai starts writing letters to her. Start explaining her role as a leader. Starts explaining her role as a woman. Explaining her role as the queen. Starts explaining her role. Being sensitive to those around her, the community that she's in. And Mordecai writes this. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews, it will arise, but it will come from somewhere else. But you and your family, it will surely perish. Strong words coming from Mordecai. You see, when we're around something that is out of our control, or we're around something that annoys us in that context, and, or, or maybe it's coming against us. Or we see things with other people that we really don't like. You know, a lot of things go through our minds at that time. We start saying to ourselves, well, I'm not them. This is not happening to me. Maybe I'm better than them. Now, you don't say this out loud, but this thought questions your mind at some point. You may even say as a Christian, well, God loves me. Nothing bad will happen to me. It will happen to all of them because maybe they don't love God. You know, I pray more than them. You know, if I was faced with the same decisions they had, I would have made a much better decision. You know, humanity is so funny, all right? There, there's movies about this. So many I can't get into it right now, but you wouldn't make the same decision. you make the same decision you would make right now. Or maybe they deserve, maybe they deserve what they got because of their decisions. You know, it's God's judgment in their life. Let me be very, very clear right now. Let me be very, very clear. None of us deserve heaven. 
There's not anything you can do to get into heaven. There's not a good work you could come up with. Not helping the homeless, not helping the people in South Carolina, nothing you could do to get in heaven. Bible says, not by works, lest any man should have a reason to boast. Jesus saved you because he loved you. And merely acknowledging and accepting that, which is a big step, is what it takes to allow Jesus to come into your heart. Amen? You know, this verse, you know, I'm Jewish, I have a Jewish background, maybe that's why it speaks to me. But this verse reminds me of the most famous poem I'm going to paraphrase here. First, they came for my coworker, and I said nothing. Then they came for my neighbor, and I said nothing. Then they came for people of my faith, of my religion, and I said nothing. Then they came for me, and there was no one left. The point here is we need to be sensitive to those around us and what God is doing with us in the moment. Someone once saved Esther, and now it was her opportunity to save others. And so you have the most famous Bible verse in Esther, which says, And who knows whether you have not come to this kingdom for such a time as this? Mordecai says, And what if the whole reason you are queen is for this moment, this time? Who knows if this is the opportunity that God is giving you, the reason God created you to help save his people? There's a lot of options in this. You can complain, you can run away, or you can just sit on your laurels and wait. Oh, God, intervene, God, intervene. But remember, he sent you, and there is something for you to do. So the first rule of sensitivity training, sensitivity, rule number one, be sensitive of the moment. Be sensitive of the moment. God is creating moments in your life. God is creating you. God has given you purpose, and there is a moment in other words, when it, is in, when it is within your reach to do something to help someone, you must do so. When it is within your reach to help, you are called to help. This doesn't necessarily mean going to North or South Carolina or necessarily donating money. It could mean all sorts of things. God is speaking to you. Are you listening? We need to be sensitive to what he's saying. To much is given, much is required. You're hearing this sermon right now. It's unavoidable for you now to not be sensitive to the moment when you walk out of this church, what God is saying to you and what's in your life. And this may mean self-sacrifice. This may mean you have to put somebody else's needs over yourself. It may mean you miss the football game. You don't get to eat at the time that you wanted to eat. It may mean you don't get to do what you have to do today because you drive someone home or you help somebody. Or maybe you just pray for somebody after church. Can we be sensitive to more than just ourselves. The next verse here. Philippians 2, verse 3 and 4. This is in the bulletin, so we put it up on the screen here. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interest, but to each of you the interest of the others. So you can kind of get the theme here of the sensitivity training. We need to be sensitive of our moment. And in our moment, who should we be sensitive to? We should be sensitive to the others, not ourselves. The Bible verse clearly says to think about humility, to humble ourselves. What is humility? I thought about this a while before I um, put this message together, and I was thinking, how can I explain humility? There are lots of ways to do it. Mother Teresa has many quotes of, of sharing, but, but the way that I want to share it today is pretty simple. Do you know your faults? Do you know what's not perfect about yourself? 
the hidden secrets that you share with no one, not your spouse. You don't even share them with like your journal. You don't share them with God like as if you're hiding them. You know what I'm talking about. You know them. And the moment you recognize that you know them and that you're not as good as you think you are, that's the essence of humility. Bring yourself down a notch and realize you have faults and stop looking for them in other people. Instead, look for other people, this verse says, just like us. We want to be blessed. We want God to bless us. We pray for blessing. We pray that God move in our lives. But this verse is saying because we are humble, because we know our own life has mistakes, our own life has issues, we're going to humble ourselves and we're going to pray for blessing in someone else's life. And we're actually going to look for blessing in other people's lives. In fact, we may actually bless someone else besides ourselves. This is key to sensitivity. We must be sensitive to others. And I put the others here, not just others, because we did a whole series called The Others. The others are those people who walk through the door who I've never met. All sorts of people. All sorts of people walk through the door I've never met. Sometimes I see them one week, sometimes I see them tons of weeks. I see some people now that I've seen who've been here for a couple months that walk through the door one day. This morning I met uh, Rob and Eddie. They came through the door one day. They're the others. People I've never met. We need to be sensitive to them. We need to be sensitive where they, where they live, where they're going, what's going on. How can we help them? How can the church pray for them? Maybe I'm being too... Uh, uh, too abstract, too esoteric. Let me make it very, very simple to you. This concept about being sensitive to others is a straight attack on selfishness, which, by the way, is at the core of all of us. We cannot go through life being selfish. Well, in fact, we can, but we can't do that and be a church. Selfishness will ruin the church. Humility will build it up. Selfishness will lay the church in ruins. Hear me today. Humility humbling each one of ourselves and, and sacrificing as Christ did, will build the church out. This is Christ's way. Christ was king of kings and lord of lords, prince of peace, counselor, physician, the great I am, and yet he humbled himself before everyone he met. He was treated much lower than he ever should be. He was the king of kings. Even the Jewish people couldn't understand this when he rode in on a donkey. He's the king. Can we be sensitive to more than just ourselves. The next one here, I'm going to go a little quicker. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. We are all being led by something. Romans chapter 12, it says this, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. You guys know this verse, right? Well, today when I was reading it, and this weekend, and I was getting my mind really focused on this, you know, clearly this verse is telling us, don't get too wrapped up in all the things in our life. Don't get too wrapped up in, in, in our social habits, in, in worldly traditions. Don't get too wrapped up in what everyone else is doing. But there's something else here that's interesting. You know, because... The old school Christian will say, well, this is why I don't do this. This is why I don't do that. It's, I don't go to the movies. I don't, I don't go to the bar. I don't do this. I, I don't do all these things because, because that's the pattern of this world. So I'm not going to do those things. You've missed this verse entirely. As I began to pray on this verse, the focus of this verse is not on the pattern of this world, but it's be transformed by the renewing of your mind. 
You see, there's something going on in our mind when we go to those places. There's something going on in our mind when we're at home, and there's something going on in your mind here at church. And you cannot go to all those places and come here at church and have a completely ruined mind. And that does me no good. That does the church no good. A selfish mind, a judgmental mind doesn't help anyone but yourself. I don't care where you go. I care where your mind is and what you're doing with it. And are you able to get your mind straight to test and prove what is God's will in your life so that you don't do the things that are not in God's will in your life? Amen? Sensitivity rule number three. It's as plain and simple. Be sensitive of the mind. Be sensitive of the mind. The way I like to think about this is I use the mind again. I did this on purpose. The mind. It's not your mind. It's not a mind. It's the mind. There's all sorts of minds at work here. Well, there's the mind of the world. Your groupthink, crowdsourcing. There's the mind of what happens around you, the social patterns. That has a, a DNA to it, if you will. And if you succumb to it, you'll find yourself in a very selfish mentality, more than likely. There's the mind of the enemy. Well, we all know what this one is. This one is riddled with temptation and evil. There's the mind of God. The mind of God, which we just learned, transforms your mind. Then, there's the mind of the flesh. This one's interesting to me, because this one's at war. This is the mind that controls who you are. It sits at the seat of who you are. Your consciousness sits in there. We often talk about conscious. I'm going to get to it in a second. We look at this verse, Galatians chapter 5, 16, 17. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. Do you see, your mind is an internal battle with the flesh, and the spirit. When we say, well, I can just listen to my conscience. That's my mind, right? Well, the verse tells us that outside of Jesus Christ, your conscience is going to fall away to your flesh every single time. And as you become a Christian, God, God begins to, to infill you with his spirit. You know, we talk about spirit and soul all the time, and it's confusing. What is a spirit? What is a soul? You know, I look through scripture, and I'll do this study some other time for you. But for me, it's very simple. A spirit is what takes place in your mind. A soul is what takes place in your heart. And your, your, your mind, your spirit is your spirit. But when it communes with the Holy Spirit, it's able to get in line. That's why we pray for it. It's able to get in line with what God is asking us to do. And so your conscience, if you will, it's a conversation between your heart and your mind. And that conversation could be really bad outside the context of the Holy Spirit, hence this verse. But when the Holy Spirit's involved, that conversation starts to guide you and lead you in the right ways so that you don't do whatever you want to do. This one's tricky here, so I spent a couple extra moments. You see, being sensitive to the moment, that's something that can be learned. Being sensitive to others, that's something that I can teach you. Being sensitive to the mind, that can be trained. But this next one, and it's alluded to here, this next one, well, it's very special, and it's critically important. It's the essence of being a disciple, in my view. We must be sensitive of the Spirit. The others can be learned, can be taught, can be trained. This one must be felt. The IPHC, International Pentecostal Holiness, is a 
big denomination with lots of words and doctrines, effectively says all up in there that we're a full gospel church, which means we believe the whole gospel, word for word, all the pages, inerrant, infallible word of God. Sure, got that. But it also means that we are a spirit-filled church. It means we give liberty for the spirit. If worship goes a little longer, that's okay. If God gives us something to share, that's okay. If somebody has a testimony, that's okay. We, we want to be able to honor God and what God is saying to us. We give him freedom because we believe the spirit was sent here on earth at Pentecost and it is moving and breathing and it is living in you and I. That's why we believe in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So the question remains, can we be sensitive to more than just ourselves and those things that annoy us? Can we be sensitive to our moments? Can we be sensitive to others? Can we be sensitive to the mind? And can we be sensitive to the spirit? So I want to remind you of this verse last week. Somebody came up to me and said, you didn't do the verse right. This was the same picture I used last week, Acts 1.8. The verse said, and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere. And last week we were talking about reproducing. We were talking about reproducing thoughts and reproducing evangelism in others. And somebody came up to me and said, that's not the right verse. Well, it's the right verse. It's just half of it. There's a part of this verse that goes before it that I wanted to save it for today. Because it's about being sensitive. Sensitive to what? Well, before I tell you, this idea here about witnessing, this idea about telling people about Jesus everywhere, by the way, it's not my idea. It's not my, I know it's hard. It's not fun all the time. And sometimes it gets you in really precarious situations. By the way, it's God's idea. His plan. His mission. And so he tells you right before this verse, he says these words, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses. You see, there's this power that God wants to do upon you. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. This power brings boldness. It brings confidence. It brings courage. It also brings insight. How to be compassionate, how to be empathetic, what to say, what not to say. It brings ability. In fact, it brings you to a place where you can do things that you wouldn't normally be able to do. It also brings, ooh, this one's good. The Holy Spirit, when he brings his power, it brings authority. You can speak truth and believe it. Be challenged and know what is true. You see, you're on a mission. And God has endued you with power. But we must be sensitive to the Spirit. Now, at this point, you're wondering, wow, he's got so much to say. This sermon's never going to end. No. The series is about to end in like five minutes. But I'm teeing you up for what's on my mind, what's on my heart. I've been here about two years, and I have yet to really get into the, the, the moving and the will and the method and the benefit and the nuance of the Holy Spirit. And so today I start. This picture here, Acts chapter 2, verse 2. You can open up your Bibles if you have one. Great. I encourage you to highlight it if you will. But this will begin to change your mind with how we view the Holy Spirit. If you've been in Pentecostal faith at any amount of time, you've seen this verse many times. You've probably quoted it. Let's talk about it. She's standing on a beach. My wife loves the beach. She's enjoying the, the wind. She's enjoying the air. She's enjoying the sun. The Bible says this. Suddenly... A sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house that they were sitting. 
It describes the Holy Spirit in this case as a wind. It's moving. The Spirit is moving. It's a wind. Spirit is like the wind. It's kind of like this, this Indian reservation thing. The Spirit is like a wind, and we need to be like the wind, or we need to pay attention to the wind. Yes, exactly that. The Holy Spirit is like a wind. We don't know exactly where it came from or where it's going. This is usually what we talk about when we talk about things like the Holy Spirit baptism, and we bring it up and we say, oh, wow, some weird things happened after this, like they started speaking in tongues, and all sorts of crazy things happened after this that we associate with the Holy Spirit baptism. But what I want to talk about real quick as we, as we unpack this here, the Holy Spirit baptism, we're going to talk more about it. But let me tell you something. We get it twisted too. So many of you who've been in Christianity for a long time think, well, the lights need to be a certain way. The song needs to be a certain way. The sound needs to be a certain way. And we need to sing a certain way, standing up with our hands a certain way. And we need to be wearing a certain thing. And we need to be sitting next to the right person. And if all this formula is exactly perfect, then and only then, the Holy Spirit might move. That's crazy talk. In fact, let's look at this verse. They weren't standing. They weren't singing. They weren't reading the Word of God. They weren't wearing anything nice. They weren't even at church. They were sitting in the upper room, sitting, sitting, sitting. Their hands weren't up, probably. They were there a really long time. We started a war room. If you haven't been part of it, come do it. Sit and pray with us. See what it's like. You haven't been to a midnight prayer service? Come with us. We do that. Sit, see what it's like. Wind. Wind. I fly on planes a lot. I go east coast, west coast, west coast, east coast. I hate it. It's the worst ever. But I've learned something. The flight times are different when you go east to west and west to east. Why is that? Because there's a jet stream. There's a huge amount of winds taking place at 30,000 feet that push the airplane. When you go west to east, it's at your tail and it makes you go much faster. Coming home is a lot faster than going there. When you stand in front of the wind and you have the wind at your face, a headwind, and you try to press on the wind, it's frustrating, it's challenging, it's hard, it's called turbulence. And you know what? It can drive your life crazy. And so many of us today are standing in the wind of the Holy Spirit. We see it in our face and we go pressing in the other direction and wonder why our life is so turbulent, wonder why there's nothing is going our way and wonder why it doesn't feel right. The Holy Spirit is blowing. You can't see it, but you can certainly feel it. How about you consider turning around, putting out your tail, and marching in the direction the Spirit's blowing? Because when you do that, it'll happen so much faster. Are you following me, church? This analogy is not made up. It's in the Bible. What do you mean? Just one verse. It's out of context. I can't believe you used that, Pastor Sean. You're really exaggerating here. There's like 15 of them. Let me throw one more at you. John chapter 3, verse 8. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. This whole sermon can be wrapped up right here. You can't be led with your eyes. You can't even see wind. If you think you're going to be sensitive by judging everything by what you see, you're crazy. God looks at the heart. You can't even see that. So how are you going to do that? How are you going to do that? The Bible says, how about you start using some of your other senses? You can't see the wind. You don't know where it's going. You can't use your mind even. You can't figure it out. You're not smart enough. But you can begin to hear it. You can hear the wind, and you can be sensitive to the leading of it. You're not sure where it's leading. You don't know where it's going. You didn't even know where it came from. It caught you by surprise. Christians, disciples, 
must learn how to be sensitive to the spirit and heed to the wind that is God. Not look for it. Don't go church to church to church trying to find something that you associate with the spirit. Don't judge and interpret. You will fail. You need to sense his spirit. Listen. Hear. Feel it. And maybe today, and maybe someday later this week, you will realize you are in the position you are in for such a time as this. That you heard this message. You open your brain. You open your mind. And this week, you begin to feel the Holy Spirit moving you in a direction you would not have gone. And you'll be saying, doing, acting, praying, or something that you would have never done before. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. You and I are born of the Spirit. That simply means the winds of God are blowing towards you and towards me. Thank you for tuning in to this edition of Kingsway Podcast from Pastor Sean. You are about to hear a message from a recent Sunday service. We consider it a privilege to be on a spiritual journey with you. So take a few moments with us and allow God to inspire you today.